One, two, one, two. Now here we go. You know what time it is? Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee podcast. Today, guys, I have an episode that I have no doubt in my mind is going to be an absolute banger. With the man himself, we brought a doctor on today, Dr. Mike II. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Hello, Frankie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, I- I'm, I'm hyped to have you because you're going to give such a different essence of opinions and perspectives on so much stuff in mental health and everything else that you're well versed in and, and, and all that stuff that you do. The first thing I want to want to really ascertain is like, why would a, a, a practicing doctor, doctor like yourself that's, that's obviously so busy anyway, want to um, contribute so much to social media and kind of build a, build an online presence? That's a very good question. Actually, um, it was sort of the other way around, really. I, I actually uh, got into using social media just purely because I enjoy social media. I enjoy chatting to people. Um, I enjoy communicating with people from sort of different backgrounds and the kinds of people that I might not necessarily come across in my everyday life. I actually got into using social media really heavily when I wanted to change my lifestyle and I kind of felt like I needed a bit of an environment sort of change in terms of you know who, where I got information from and things like that with regards to trying to get into exercise and trying to eat better and so exploring social media from that perspective and kind of meeting people who were involved in fitness really helped to change my life and my lifestyle and in doing that I kind of realized how much not great information was out there and then I started to become a little bit more passionate about trying to put out better information in a way to kind of educate myself but also to then help pay that forward once I'd gone to all the trouble of realizing that actually it's not that hard to change your lifestyle but everyone thinks it really is because they've heard all of this stuff that is absolute nonsense that they have to do if they want to get better and it kind of frustrated me so through that frustration I started I started writing some articles for a couple of like online publications and things like that and I just really I really enjoy writing that's kind of what I like to do um but then sort of got involved in just doing more posts and and captions and weekly emails and all of that sort of stuff as well and then through speaking to the kinds of people that then I'd been speaking to throughout that sort of time who'd helped me kind of improve my lifestyle they kind of got me involved in doing things like talks and stuff like that so it's all just happened very organically it was very much not that I thought you know what I need a social media following it just sort of happened that people people sort of took an interest in what I was saying and then when COVID happened, it sort of got a little bit more intense because then suddenly people were, were quite interested in, in, in what people from the medical profession had to say about that sort of stuff as well. So um, it grew a bit from there, but it's very, 
I mean, it's very inconsistent and not particularly organic or strategic or anything like that. Yeah, it's just yeah, more yeah. Of a sort of thing that's ended up happening that I've kind of enjoyed as it's as it's gone along. That, that that's the most critical point with social media that most people miss is like as long as you're actually enjoying what you're building, it's it doesn't matter so much at the rate you're trying to build it. So if you for you you've just built a following on the as on the byproduct of doing something you actually enjoy, it's been a, it's been a great journey. You're not worried worried about following numbers or how many comments you get on a post or whether that email bangs or that one doesn't. It's kind of like you, you know yeah. you just want you just you just you're just on a you're just on a journey. And then, and then, and then, people are following along with it, which is a beautiful way to build it. Which is, you know, I think a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people, get too much in their mindset about trying to generate numbers rather than trying to actually do what you're doing. So, credit to yourself for that. Well, I mean, I, I, being completely honest about it, it's really difficult. You catch yourself thinking those things quite frequently. I suddenly go, oh, you know, no one really liked that post, and maybe this isn't good enough. And then I suddenly have to sit back and remember that. I'm kind of because again because I communicate with so many people whose business is social media their career is is based on making sales and and doing sort of that side of things on social media and mine isn't at all but it's really easy to get caught up in that idea that you know if you're not being consistent and you're not putting content out and you're not um, getting enough engagement then you need you need to do this because the algorithm prefers this and and then I sometimes sort of sit back and think I don't want to make a reel actually I I, I would rather write a caption that that sort of gives me sort of a joy to write. And that's where kind of doing a weekly email came from because I was forgetting that writing was what I actually enjoy. So it was more of a challenge to write something every week. And what I love about the email is there's minimal interaction with it. People rarely reply. Um, I don't really keep an eye on subscriber numbers or anything like that. It just is something that I do. And so I never it's not like Instagram where someone likes it or they don't like it. You can just never hear anything. And it's got to be then, like for me, the joy from that is is, the, is in the doing it. It's in the creation of the of the piece that I'm writing. And it's then I'm relying on an online publication or a website or a company to say, can you write us an article about this? I'm just going, what do I want to talk about this week? And yeah. it's a bit, I guess it's a bit like a, a journal really, um, uh- so have you, do, me, do you just run that through like a sub stack or something like that is that is that how you do it it's actually i had set up a squarespace website a while ago when again i was sort of in that in one of those moments where you think i've got to do something with this i've got to you know this is something i should be maximizing on or capitalizing on and i just kind of got my domain name and set up a really pointless website that doesn't really do anything and because it just had a mailing list feature and i was already paying for it anyway i thought i might as well just but there, there, up through that, so. there's there's a beauty in that, Mike. That that I want all the listeners to to really pick on. There, you took action. You just took action and did what you you know you wanted to write an email, so you just took action. You don't have to have the perfect piece of tech or have the latest mm-hmm. software to to do this. You, you so how long have you been writing that weekly email now? Uh, we just hit the one hundred and second email last week, so um, it started sort of fairly early on in in COVID. Actually. Jay Alderton, who you podcasted with the other day, yeah, it was his idea. Um, he actually was uh, doing a Facebook group at the time, um, and I was in the Facebook group, and he knows that I like to write, and he said, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to do one post in this Facebook group every week on anything that you're interested in. We'll call it the doctor's note. Here's yeah. the logo. Yeah, he sort of did all of that bit for me to start doing it. And I toyed with the idea of doing doing an email for a while, but I, again, I was in that mindset that you're talking about. Who's going to want to read it? What, what do I want to do that for? Why does it matter? 
and I did it. I did the first post, and I just thought, this is this is my this is my weekly email. Why aren't I sending this out as well? So then I was like, put a, I stuck it up on a on a on the mailing list and set up a subscriber link and just yeah. went from there. It's 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 mad, Mike, because I I know I've yeah I've, you know for the last eighty ninety weeks I've put out a podcast every week, and um, the the I consistently come back to I'm obviously look I, I'm like you I get drawn into some numbers and drawn into some engagement and Instagram and all this bollocks right I get drawn into it, but then I always bring myself back to am I actually truly enjoying the art of podcasting and communication and getting better at that and and learning and meeting people like yourself and. Am I get, am I enjoying that? And if that's if the answer to that is yes, which it which it has been and is up until this point, then I'll just continue doing that, and the rest of it will take care of itself. It's kind of because yeah. people always I don't know if you get these DMs. I get these DMs on Instagram, and they're like, oh, you know, how have you got so confident in talking to people, or how have you how do, how have you got uh, X Y Z on the podcast? And I'm like, because I'm 94 episodes deep, and because I've done the reps, and because I'm speaking to people every week, you get better at it, don't you? It's it's people think there's some genius in in it but the genius is action 100 percent. you know it, it, and i think that what people forget is that actually i think when people think oh, i'm not very good on camera or i'm not very good at public speaking or what they often mean is i'm frightened to do that because of a number of reasons that, that might not necessarily be clear to them might not necessarily be clear to anybody else and i think what we forget with, with a lot of different types of fear is that the more that we expose ourselves to that fear the less the fear becomes and then this was a again a, something i kind of learned through like i'm absolutely terrified of public speaking it's always been a and I, I keep i still say this but actually i'm not terrified of public speaking anymore i used to be until i started doing it and then i still was for a good while and then it's got less and less and less and less and now i don't find it so terrifying anymore and i think people don't realize that actually it does it gets better it doesn't get worse if you do it, which is what obviously people I think worry about a lot. Um, and it's it's hard it's hard not to listen to those sorts of internal voices and critics that are going, "This is really boring. No one cares about what you're saying. What are you talking about?" Sometimes those internal voices are external as well. Sometimes yeah. it's actually people not caring about it and wanting to let you know. And that can be you know that can be something that's hard to listen to a lot of the time as well. But again that's the whole point of doing things that you enjoy is that actually you should be doing them because you enjoy them, not because you're expecting a, a specific return on, on that investment, I guess. And how many hours a day do you have to actually physically go and work as a doctor before you go and do this, all this other stuff that you're serving people with as well? Um, all of them. <laughs> that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, so I, I work full time as a, as a partner in a GP practice in the NHS. So I work, that's a four day a week, job and then one day a week I work as a um, training program director which means that I run or help run with a with a team of us the the GP training scheme for our our regional area so we set up the timetable and do teaching sessions we do the pastoral care we put people in the rotations for the for their um, hospital rotations and their practice allocations and stuff for their for the GP training scheme we report on them we we kind of their progress all that sort of stuff as well so it's um it's five days a week is is my is my day job so again if if this wasn't something that i just enjoyed doing from time to time then i I wouldn't be doing it at all and that's why actually like a lot of the time my content isn't it's not polished or um i'm not great with canva and all 
sort of stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's pretty rough around the edges. It's just a caption I've just written in sort of five minutes or whatever and, and just posted because I don't really have any choice. Um, otherwise, I just wouldn't be posting anything. Um, or it's just an Insta story sort of chatting about the day and what's what's sort of going on. But that's the thing is if you're efficient with it and it's something that you enjoy, it only takes a few minutes to, to be fairly consistent with it. But if you have to sit and edit a reel and you know film three different camera angles and and then put music to it and then add captures to it and do all of that stuff you know you're talking about a couple of hours a day that you know a lot of influencers and content creators will be will be doing and you know i I have no intention of competing with that but i also haven't got the capacity to, to compete with that either so is um, a fairly fairly easy decision. One thing I uh, learned early on in, in in the podcast game was the fact of like I like podcasting and I like the conversations, but I don't want to be editing videos. I don't want to be all do editing audio and all that crap because that 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 takes away the the love for me. I'd I'd lose interest in that really fast. But yeah, I yeah. want to do this art, so I just I just have to go and earn money in a business somewhere else then to pay to have that facilitated so that I can have these conversations. Because otherwise, I can't, I couldn't, I don't have the mental capacity to sit there and for, for you know, fifteen yeah. twenty minutes per reel. You know, we, <laughs> when, yeah. when we prepare a podcast, we get the audio, the YouTube video, the pre-roll, the ten fifteen clips um, for for for, all, for however much we have got to get out the content. It's it. That's a marathon for me. That would, that would, that would do my head in. Um, in regard, we, we, yeah. No, go go go. I was going to say because I run a podcast with um, Dan Osman and Emma Story Gordon called Fitness Unfiltered, and the very reason we called it Fitness Unfiltered was because we didn't want to filter it. We didn't want to edit it. Actually, be doing any editing. We were yeah. like, we press record and then we press stop and then we upload it and that's the end there's no there's there's no sort of extra work involved in it because we thought the more obstacles we put in the way the less likely we are to actually do it that's exactly how this podcast is done the only the only difference with that is the fact of like all the clips for the reels the 15 20 clips for the reels and everything else that has to be taken out of it that's there's a there's a cost associated with that there's time in that you have to pay someone to do that and you know a lot of people don't understand that and that's why I've got so much respect for someone like yourself who goes to work serving the community and then comes home and then he's making that kind of content serving the community again and doing it all themselves i mean that's 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 a mad amount of work you've undertaken it's lovely of you to say but i am i'm handsomely rewarded i you know i I get paid to do my job so it's yeah you know i don't feel like i'm doing anything different to anyone else and that's one of the things that i've really like struggled with over the last couple of years and kind of NHS heroes sort of mentality in the sense that I don't consider us to be heroes and I know a lot of people disagree with this this is just this is an opinion that I've developed myself I feel like actually a lot of it is potentially a bit toxic because it creates this real expectation of perfection from other people but it also creates this expectation within the workers that because they're doing this job that's heroic they shouldn't then be treated well within the job itself and and if they don't get the the praise and the gratification then they then get upset and resentful about it as well potentially um so i don't i don't like that so i'm very quick to remind myself like doctors i think i mean well it's not that difficult because actually at the moment doctors aren't aren't having such a great time in things like the media but um for the most part people tend to have quite a lot for doctors and, and kind of t- tend to say this sort of stuff and I, I very much like to constantly remind myself that 
I am in an incredibly fortunate and privileged position. I decided to do a job that I really wanted to do. I that is hard to get into that not everybody gets to do if they, even if they really want to there's lots of people who are desperate to do this job that, that aren't able to for, for many reasons and so i have managed to get through that whole process to do the job that i love and get paid money for it um and i like have no complaints with regards to that i do oh, i have some complaints with regards to how certain things are run but i have to remind myself all the time that actually like, i'm nothing special when it comes to any of this i'm just just someone who's decided to do a job and and you know i'm not doing it for free and i'm not doing it um without decent reward um both like you know all of the rewards that you talk about that feeling of actually doing something important is amazing uh, but it's not that's you know a lot of people don't get that either in their job yeah people don't get to do a job that's really mentally challenging really mentally stimulating really rewarding and have financial benefits as well so you know i don't i don't want to pick myself up too much as as a doctor that's gone through the last three years of, uh, and everything that's gone on in in the world have you seen uh, a mass a massive influx of people that are struggling to like with their mental health to find purpose to find what they want to do to uh, that have got into a bit of a funk have you found that, that is increased massively and and what do you think people could do in order to to snap out of that yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to assess because at the same time, my practice is in a very small region. So like, actually, my, my experience is very specific to kind of people who have chosen to make appointments with me. So it's hard to really get an idea of the scale of, of how much people are actually suffering. Um, and also because I'm, I'm the mental health lead at my practice, so I've always dealt with quite a lot of mental health stuff at, at my work. So it's hard to say I'm dealing with more or it being more intense, but I, that is the impression that I get, certainly, from, from what I've seen. Um, but I think that what we're sort of seeing more than actual, like, mental illness or people sort of having new diagnoses necessarily of, of things like depression or other mental illnesses, I think what we're seeing is a reduction in people's mental well-being. Um, so people are struggling rather than unwell if that makes sense yeah and not all of those people will make it to their gp because a lot of those people will be you know researching on the internet how to feel better you know listening to podcasts reading books and all of that all of these other things that sometimes as doctors we forget are really important in people feeling well it's not just about you know the medical professionals being able to tell them what to do it's about mindset it's about other things as well and actually a lot of that is related to things like you know, the lack of human connection that people had, worries about financial security with regards to their um, their jobs and furlough and all of those sorts of things as well. And also the kind of medical uncertainty, I suppose, that the idea, I mean, I, I don't know about you and how you felt about things, but at the beginning of the pandemic, as a person, I, I had to consume a hell of a lot of information because I had to know what was going on with covid for my job so i didn't have the luxury of going oh the news is really awful i'm just going to turn it off and not listen to it like a lot of people suggest and i was in an awful place like at that point kind of mentally because i i knew that everything that i needed to do for my own mental well-being was to stop watching the news to step back from things a little bit and to you know to immerse myself in things immerse myself in the things that hadn't changed um but i didn't have the luxury of doing that and i, I found it incredibly difficult and i think that 
we forget that there was a point at the beginning of the pandemic where lots of people, myself included, had this genuine idea that there was quite a strong possibility that they and a significant number of their loved ones would die. And that actually was a reality for, for many people. And we forget that as well, because, because there are so many people on the planet. So many people have come through the pandemic pretty much unscathed from a health perspective. And they all they've seen is those other aspects of it, like, you know, the financial insecurity and the other effects that sort of COVID have had on our social lives and stuff like that. But it is really easy to forget that there was, like I say, for a long period of time, people were much more worried about um, about the other aspects of, of COVID. And it's, it's very easy to forget that now. So, you know, people sort of like awareness of their own mortality and, and the mortality of their loved ones as well is, is, is something that impacts people's mental health, as does bereavement and grief which a lot of people are impacted by particularly in the world of covid where the usual methods by which we cope with things like grief and bereavement such as funerals and wakes and all of the other you know social support that's associated with that without the window people couldn't even visit their relatives when when they were in hospital and that was something i experienced during the pandemic as well and it's horrible yeah i'm i i i was getting um updated from obviously in, in australia at the time i wasn't watching the news or choosing to turn yeah. it on because it, that I, can't, I find a constant um influx of negative information that i can't control very soul destroying and starts to integrate with you and who you are so i was like Do you know what but when i got on the phone to england and i'm speaking to my mom and she's because I knew that they were, because I knew that they're watching the news and, and in England that everyone was watching the news and everyone was so into it, I could feel through the phone. I left, I, I had to go for a, for a long walk when I got off the phone just to get over dealing with that much what I termed as without being nasty. It was like real negative energy like that. I had to kind of shift mm-hmm. oh, when I get off the call, but obviously there were so many things going, going for so many people. Obviously my heart goes out to all these people that that lost people and that, but it was just, it was just crazy. It's crazy to think that the, the, the information that you take in is, 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 it can, it can change your whole day. So like you wake up in the morning and people are are, are indoctrinated onto putting on the news. They wake up in the morning, they put the news on And it's just like boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 and they're wondering why they're feeling that way. And I'm like, mate, just turn. You got to yeah. turn that TV off because you got to control what goes in. Yeah. It's- and and paradoxically, I look like something that I really struggled with. In fact, one of the things that, like, just coming back to what you were saying, I used to watch stories from Australia. So I, I followed a few people that live in Australia, and I just used to love just watching their stories because it was just really nice to watch people just going for a walk or going to a restaurant or whatever at the you know at the times that things were were more open in you know in Australia than they were anywhere else and, and it was it was so nice. Like a lot of people were getting really irritated by it and we were fair of you that when we can't do any of this. I thought like, no, no this is brilliant. I really want to, this is what I want to see right now. I want to watch people living normal lives. To put because putting it in perspective is so important. Like like remembering that actually this isn't it's not the same everywhere and it's not going to be the same forever was a, a massively important thing. But one thing I really struggled with is that, that at, when it came to a point where I really had to step back from, from the news and the media, I then started to become a little bit anxious that I was missing something so that I then became more anxious that bad things were happening that I didn't know about. So every time I was speaking to somebody on the phone and they started mentioning or they dropped something, some little hint about something that was going on, whether it was like a 
you know, new variant or something like that. I would then, <laughs> I would sort of just try and swerve the conversation. And then, but when I'd get off the phone, I'd then be like, what do they mean when they said that? Does that mean that something more is going to happen? Are we going to go back into lockdown? What's going to happen now? And then I would then find myself thinking like, I have to now go and look at the news to actually make myself feel better because what I'm thinking is worse than what's actually happening. And it is, like you say, it's incredible how just, you know, reading a few negative stories at the beginning or the end of your day, just it, it changes everything. And I, and I don't, I don't feel like when I was a kid, teenager, when I was, you know, even in my, um, like in my younger years, I don't really feel like I used to be like that. I don't really think, I don't feel like the, the news used to affect me as much. I don't know if that's just because the news feels like it's just got a lot worse. Well, I, ca- I, ca- I kind of feel that when me and you were younger, Mike, that we weren't, we, we, we were out kicking a ball on the street or playing with our friends and this, that and the other. We didn't really have, we didn't really have, I didn't get a phone till I was like 11 or 12. You know, I didn't have my first phone till 11 or 12. It's like, and even that's too young, really, when you think about the power of a phone and how much information it can put into your eyeballs. And, you know, if you're not, it's only bad if you, if, if it's exposing you to certain types of information. But the problem is that it, invariably because of the people you're surrounded by at that age and because you don't have that context you are surrounded by a lot of what i call negative energy uh just being pumped through social media and then whatever you like and whatever you subscribe to they give you more of that and they give you more dopamine for that and you just you just end up there's kids leaving school these days with 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 these um with so many different ailments one thing i wanted to ask you was about that because i because i have an opinion i want to know your opinion on it is the fact of like there's a lot of people out there handing out labels for a lot of shit that I'm like, that's not really like the, when I was at school, people tried to say, Oh, you're ADHD. What, what mate? Because I have a personality. So, you know, you want to give me yeah. drugs because they want, you want to bring my personality down. I didn't understand all this mess. And I'm so, I'm so uh, privileged that my dad was like, no, it, we'll put the kid in the boxing gym. We won't, we won't, we won't we're not going to put him on Ritalin. Like, do you know what I mean? Like what, what, yeah. what do, do you think there's more of that happening in the day to day where there's, where there's kids, kids and, and adults being prescribed a pill rather than, rather than an actual problem to solution. So I think that like, this is a really complex one and there's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to this. So I think firstly, to answer your question, I do feel like, you know, there are more diagnoses happening now for sure, but it's hard to tell whether that is a good thing or not such a good thing. I think what I would like to see more of reflect on it. I heard a great story from somebody the other day. I can't remember who told me this story, so I can't, I can't say who it was, but they were saying that their, their child was very clearly suffering with something on, you know, some, some sort of autistic spectrum issue. So they're suffering from some form of neurodiversity, let's say. And the usual sort of uh, approach in this situation is that you would try and get an assessment and a diagnosis and you would wait ages. And, and this is like obviously an incredibly complex process. And what the school, and I know, I, I recognize again, you know, even saying this, this is a really unusual experience, but it just sounded amazing to me. The school said to them, oh, don't worry about it. We don't need a diagnosis because we see what the needs are, regardless of what the diagnosis is. So as long as we manage the needs, it doesn't really matter what we call it. But the problem is that in a lot of situations, particularly when you're talking about publicly funded kind of services and situations, sometimes that label is necessary in order for people to be able to seek out 
further assistance that they might need, you know, and to actually meet those needs. And I think that actually like neurodiversity is a really good example of something that was grossly misunderstood, even I would say even like in the last five years, I would say that things, the way people are starting to talk about it now, and it, and it takes a while to kind of all trickle down because it starts in things like education. So kind of in my role as a, in education, I am being educated now about, you know, neurodiversity being looked at more as a different set of skills rather than a disease or a disorder or a, you know, or a problem that necessarily needs to be fixed unless there are problems being created by it that need to be fixed for that person. But actually, if we worked harder to, you know, modify what we expect from people rather than putting people in this very rigid education system where if, whereby if they're not good at reading, writing, and maths, they're kind of discarded and, and don't get the same sort of support and education that they might do if their needs were taken into account more. And I think, you know, from that perspective, things have the potential to, to really improve because we know of a lot of people in history who have had neurodiversity who have gone on to be incredibly successful by forging their own paths without things like treatment for it necessarily. But it's a work in progress. I mean, this stuff takes so long to, to change. And the other side of it is that a lot of time families are in a very difficult situation and they have a lot of pressures on themselves. So if a parent has a, a child who is behaving differently to other people, I think there are a lot of psychological factors for that parent. So, for example, they want an explanation as to why this is happening. They want to know that this isn't something that, that they have done, for example, in terms of you know making mistakes in parenting, for example, or doing parenting in a, in a way that's not supporting the child. And especially with, with issues that affect behaviour, that's one of the, the big sort of significant factors. So I think it's a mixture of people needing a diagnosis to get help, and a lot of people wanting a diagnosis and also there is you know you can't deny that there's an element from you know the education perspective and from the medical perspective to want to give a diagnosis and to want to fix yeah. everything sometimes things don't necessarily need fixing they just need managing in an appropriate way and and you know your example is the perfect one you just needed a different sort of outlet but then when you look at an organization like the nhs and you look at it from the side of a, a practitioner Generally speaking, what we want to do is to try and make things better. And sometimes the methods that we would employ to try and make things better might make things better, but might not necessarily be the way, they're not the only way that can make things better. So like you say, you might have had, you might have felt better if you'd been on medication, but actually you felt better because of, you know, how, how your dad did stuff it's really hard to figure out in advance like for, yeah. for a doctor to say to somebody actually no i don't think we should give you medication for this i think we should get you in a boxing ring a lot of parents would be what the hell are you talking about yeah so I, I mean, I, I mean you know? we... and and rightly so like we kind of expect everybody to know everything but it, it, you, you often need a lot more information than you're going to necessarily get in that 10 minutes and that's why it's important that it is a conversation when you when you're talking to patients and when you're managing the issue, it's figuring out what people want, figuring out what they think is going to help, all of that sort of stuff as well. I, th I think, I think, in essence, for me, what it was when I was a child was the fact of like the teachers never liked me 
asking a lot of questions which is which is which is exactly what i do now which is what's bringing me more and more success and abundance and everything else into my life it's what i've done all my life the thing that i got criticized for most when i was at school is what i do now and what's bringing me all that that is the most baffling thing to me like because i questioned when they told me something because i questioned okay well how, how does that work then what's this about oh you're troublesome you go you go down and put you put you in this room over here I didn't, I, 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 I couldn't for the life of me understand why that was happening. And then the answer to that question was like, oh, let's dull you down. Let's give you a little bit of medication over here. Let's try and, let's try and bring, bring, bring you down into coherence so that you can just sit at the back and say nothing. That to me was like, so why, 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 why? I didn't understand why in the nineties, especially there were doctors out there that were trying to basically dull, dull, dull down people's personalities and take people's sparkles off by just prescribing this magic pill, magic pills for everything. And it's no, it's no, in America now, they're, they're, they're struggling like with opioids and stuff like that. It's, it's gone mad because they were giving pills out for everything. I just, I just didn't understand whether, whether it's something from a doctor's point of view. Obviously, I know that you're slightly different to how you've operated as a doctor, but was, are you, are you encouraged actively when you're learning to prescribe something to fix something or 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 because obviously you're very different you, you you believe in exercise and nutrition and everything else because i know from your content you do but there's a lot are there still a lot of doctors out there that kind of just want magic pills for everything so i think again the reason this question is hard to answer is because all doctors are individual people with their own set of beliefs biases thoughts ideas and and you know you're, you're sort of trained in this way to kind of, you know, to, like I say, you're trained to fix things and how you do that can be different for every patient. And what, what different people need is, is, is different. Like I use, I use antidepressants as an example for this and I'll come on to to the reason why for that, but there isn't, there's not pressure to, you know, particularly to prescribe other than there's certain, so there are certain things, for example, that, you know, there are target driven things with regards to stuff like it would come for GPs, but it's rarely stuff like, you know, this percentage of people with depression should be on an antidepressant. It's more like um, if somebody's got a diagnosis of, uh, you know, if they've got this level of risk factors, which suggest they should be on this drug to prevent heart disease, for example, then they should be on the drug. It's sort of those sorts of things. It's sort of more blood pressure targets, for example, that would mean that you might you know, need to use medication to, to help people reach those targets, but they're kind of health determined. They're not, you know, it's not like the drug companies want you to prescribe more drugs. So they give you incentives to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. At least not, you know, during my career, I'm sure that in the past, perhaps things may have happened like that. But um, with regards to stuff like medication, I think, with an NHS being quite an under-resourced place, if you see somebody that could benefit from lifestyle interventions, there's a few things to consider. One is that behaviour change, lifestyle change, and all of the things that, that we're talking about that we know massively improve people's health take a huge amount of not only time, but they also take a huge amount of effort on the, on the, on the side of the patient, for example. And so first of all, the patient will need to be engaged in that being what is going to help them. And second of all, you either, if they're not, you need to have the resources to put in place to actually help them with that behaviour change. And most of those resources, things like personal trainers, nutrition coaches, all of that sort of stuff, are very much based in the private sector. 
we, we certainly have like well-being services and things like that, but they're very limited in terms of the amount that they can do because they're trying to help an awful lot of people. So because of the, you know, the budgets and the income and all of that sort of stuff with regards to those services, some of the, the, the services that they can offer will be limited by time or number of sessions or also will be limited by, by sort of entrance criteria, like that you will need to fulfil certain criteria before you can actually get to certain clinics and things like that. So because we work in a government-funded organisation that, it, you know, in my opinion, is heavily underfunded. I mean, if you think that, that per patient, I think, I can't remember the exact statistic, and I should know this because it affects me quite a lot, but a GP gets paid per patient the equivalent of something like, a, you know, a Sky subscription. So if you were paying the, the cost yourself, you'd be paying the equivalent of a Sky subscription. Yeah, just That's for one visit. That, just for one visit. No, no, for a year. Like, like if you were paying a Sky subscription for your year, that's what you, that's what a GP is getting paid to look after you on average. Right. So when you think about that, that you can have as many appointments as you need for that. I mean, obviously, people don't always get appointments when they need to, which is frustrating. I know, but there's no limit to the amount that you can get for that. If you look at every insurance sort of program, they always have limits in place to limit the amount that you can use that service. Because you know before you have yeah. to pay extra and all that kind of stuff so the, the nhs is run in a very like odd way and it's amazing because it's free at the point of purchase and that kind of stuff but there has to be on the other side there has to be some sort of limit to it because it you know otherwise it just doesn't work and i think that what we're seeing at the moment unfortunately is it not really working because at the moment the, the demand is way outstripping the supply both in terms of staffing and resourcing and it's felt like that for a very, very long time now. And it's only got worse with, with COVID. But anyway, to come back to your original point, if you see people and you've got a 10-minute appointment and you want to make them better, sometimes it's difficult not to throw everything that you that you can at it. So you might talk about lifestyle things as well, but you might also want to prescribe medication because you might not think they will that people will necessarily engage with the lifestyle advice or that there's necessarily the support in place to do that. And again, if your process is on the focus is on trying to get people to to feel better it can be i mean like it just is a really really challenging sort of idea and i do i think about this a lot because i don't want to be one of those doctors that just prescribes people medication yeah. for everything sometimes yeah. it's what is, they want i want to ask you this right because i i reckon that you you'd have a really pat that there must be one powerful question that if you asked all patients could just give you some kind of clarity as to as to how you're gonna how you're gonna play it. Like a general question. Is there is there is there one powerful question that you ask that kind of cuts through all the noise and allows you to see which way you're gonna take a, a consult? Is it you know I'd love to I'd love to know what that is. Yeah. I think it very much depends on the patient. So there's something that, that we always use or we should be using um in an ideal world and it's we talk about ideas concerns and expectations it's very important to know what a patient thinks is going on what they're worried about and what they think is going to fix it because let's say for example somebody comes to see you because they're worried that they've got cancer but their symptom that they're that they're telling you about has absolutely nothing to do with a with a cancer presentation it's very easy for you to go oh yeah i think this is what's wrong with you i don't think it's you know, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Try this medication or try this or do this um, and come back if it's no better. 
they might walk away thinking but he didn't tell me that I don't have cancer or that I can't have cancer or that it's nothing to do with that whereas it'd be very easy to have that conversation to reassure people if you know what it is that they're worried about um but with some people get can get quite upset if you ask them that question what do you think is going on you're the doctor why aren't you telling me what's going on so it's about developing a you know a, a rapport and developing an understanding of, of, of people and sort of trying to figure out what, what makes them tick and it, you know I know I don't always get that right sometimes I, I approach a consultation in a way and realize afterwards that I've you know I've approached it in a way that wasn't helpful for that patient and I should have done it differently um, that, 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 that's, again, just, that's just that's just that's just all le- learning curves isn't it when you when you asked when you've asked so many questions to so many people um i think what i've understood from you there is like you know your your primary concern as a doctor is seeking to first understand before being understood in essence yeah well it should be and i think that again this is another thing another thing where life can get in the way when you've got lots of people booked in you're running late you've got a 10 minute appointment you, you know things are are challenging there's other stuff going on there's emergencies that have made you overrun and all of those sorts of things i think that you know we again we've all got the capacity for things not to be perfect all the time and that's why it's important that we listen to you know we listen to feedback and we understand it and we're constantly trying to reappraise how we're doing things and and, and try and improve stuff um and it's it's yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to always get right, but I think the first step to always getting it right is making sure that is, we're trying to get to get it right and trying to help people in a way that, you know, like whenever you, you always want to be treated, you always want to treat people how you would want to be treated or how you might want your relatives to be treated if they were sitting in the chair talking to, to their GP. Um, and sometimes that's achievable and sometimes the level of, like pressure and time management and all of that sort of stuff can get in the way of, of those things and it's, it's really really difficult to achieve perfectly yeah I'm, i imagine there's probably a lot of a lot of like admin stuff that kind of gets in gets in the in the way between you you and you and that patient and stuff as well but you know in essence that's just that's just the nature of having to wrestle with with a with a governmental department of of health i, should, I suppose yeah and the problem is that the alternative is a you know, is, is is worrying. Like, because we don't know what the alternative to the NHS would be as a, as a kind of a nation and a culture. We've managed our healthcare around a, a healthcare system that's free at the point of purchase for decades now. How would we change as a society in order to accommodate a, a, a service that wasn't free or that was more limited or that we had to half pay for? And that's sort of what we've seen with things like dentistry, which, which has moved away from the NHS. And then you're talking about people that are, you know, that struggle to get appointments and that struggle to get in. And again, when then when it's not staffed as well as it should be, and it's, it's just incredibly challenging. It's just a, a, a service that, I, I, you know, I don't have the answers to how, to how to necessarily make it better apart from more funding. But then I do, it's very easy for me to say that because I'm on the part of it, which is I'm involved in the provision of the service. I'm not involved in government. I'm not involved in what what it takes to actually commission things and stuff like yeah. that. So it's really easy for me to sit there in sort of my ivory tower and go, oh, "Well, it would just all be perfect if this happened." I genuinely don't have that answer. What are three things then, Mike? That if if anybody listening out there, that's obviously a lot of a lot of people listen to my podcast are you know business entrepreneurial. 
want more for themselves, have have ambition in life to to do better, be more, all that stuff. With that kind of with that kind of um, goal in life, you you can batter yourself, you can put yourself under a little bit of pressure. In regards to keeping yourself mentally healthy before you obviously go see a doctor and before you get prescribed any any of these ailments that they might prescribe you, any doctor around the world, whether it's Australia, UK, what are like three things that you, that you know from from your experience that can that people can go and do now and start putting in place to get themselves out of a funk and and to make sure their mental health kept on point and to you know so they can drive themselves forward um so i always hesitate to answer questions like this for the simple reason that if i i think if anyone is struggling i would want them to get the guidance of a professional to kind of figure out what is best for them because it's really difficult for people generally to differentiate between when they are genuinely like, you know, when they're really struggling or when they need something like medication or specifically or therapy or anything like that, than when they're just having a bit of a bad time. But I'd say that the counterpoint to that is to try and do these things, not when you're feeling not great, but to do them when you're feeling well, so that you've got the capacity to kind of strategically put these measures into your day that will ultimately have a massively positive impact on your health and your well-being. And that might go some way to preventing you from dipping into that level, or it might not also. I think that's another that's another really important thing to remember is that if you do struggle with these things, it's not because you failed to implement stuff necessarily, but sometimes, you know, things just don't happen and things get worse. And that's just the way that the human body and mind works. Um, but really, it's it's all of the really boring stuff that everyone already knows. It's making sure that we are getting plenty of physical activity like physical activity is, is really good for people's mental health even things like you know understanding stuff like our you know our hormonal cycles circadian rhythm making sure that we're getting plenty of natural light making sure we're getting in the outdoors there's genuine scientific mental health benefits of the outdoors that have been demonstrated in studies which again like and i learned about this because i was asked to do a talk about the benefits of the outdoors for men for mental health and i was just like well it's just it's nice isn't it you know it makes people feel better but actually when i delved into it there are lots of studies that have been done and lots of physiological mechanisms by which it's suggested that the outdoors um improves your mental well-being and one of those is things like like perspective like what we touched on earlier with things like talking about the covid situation it's realizing that actually your inner world is very much smaller than your outer world. So when, you went, when you're in sort of big green spaces, you're sort of, you're contextualizing yourself within the universe a lot better. You're not just sitting in a small house or something like that or in your office all day. So I would say we underestimate the importance of sleep like from a mental health point of view, from a stress management point of view, and from a, even from a physical well-being point of view, sleep is, is massively important as well. Um, nutrition also has its its benefits like, but again, it's difficult. I, what I really dislike in the social media space is the kind of these are five foods that will beat depression. And you know, if, if you're yeah, horrendous. Yeah, about that, it's really easy to extrapolate um, negative information from like factual information. Yeah, sleep helps with your mental health, but getting a good night's sleep isn't going to necessarily cure your depression. And actually, if you're depressed one of the symptoms of it is not being able to sleep. So, and anxiety as well has the, has the same effect too. So 
you know, sometimes it's the chicken and sometimes it's the egg as well. So I think that's why it's important to consider professional guidance either from, you know, a, a therapist or a or a clinician, like GP style clinician. Yeah, I, li- I, li- I like that. If you were going to pick one of the three, though, one of the three for the average person would 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 one of the, would would that be sleep as, as i know i know everything everything's in, every, every, all three of those that you've mentioned are important but would sleep to me seem from what i know personally I, when i when my sleep's poor everything else is really poor my eating my eating mm. goes terrible obviously exercises mm. um not so good my questions aren't as good you know like everything everything seems off without sleep i mean i, I don't know whether you could see see that as the key as the key part but that's kind of what i've noticed for myself so i think physical activity is a big all-rounder but i think that more people understand that and get that and try and do it so i will give you that Frankie. you can have sleep as the, as, as my favorite um because i think that the biggest problem the biggest problem because you're putting words into my mouth i know you want me to say sleep and actually I, I do agree with you but i think the biggest problem with sleep is but very, very many people completely have convinced themselves that sleep does not affect them at all. Um, and actually, I've been one of those people. I, I very frequently, when you know, when I've been busy, sleep is the first thing out the window. If I just stay up later to finish what I need to do, we can do that, or I'll just get up earlier. Um, and actually, I don't day to day notice those differences that you're talking about. I don't notice that if I if I have better sleep, I function particularly better. And I think that's that's partly because. You know, my background is in sort of stuff like shift work and I've always done the kind of job that, you know, you sort of, you you kind of have to do it anyway. And so there's sort of, you, you kind of just develop this way of figuring out how you're going to do it. Because you can't just not be that good at your job because, you know, it's not, it's not sort of just providing less quality work. It's actually really bad. So you sort of have to kind of figure out a way to do that. I don't know if shift workers manage, manage it in a way that, that is different, but it's the long-term effects that I think are massively underestimated. The long-term effects of things like, you know, working nights, um, having sort of consistently poor quality sleep are really, really significant. And in, in terms of brain health and in terms of sort of physical health and your, your hormone cycles and stuff like that, which then just have, you know, a step-down impact on on a lot of other things as well. So I think you're absolutely right. I think sleep is, is really, really important, but it's not just important. It's also massively underestimated by, I think, most people. Yeah, that's what I found in my life. The fact that, like, you know, the sleep one is the easiest one for me to miss. So, what? How much sleep should we actually is optimal for 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 most? I know you can't say it for every human, but like, because obviously we're all different, and I don't want to put you on. I'm not getting you to prescribe, but I'm just saying from your personal standpoint, how much sleep is kind of like the 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 the, the best average. It depends who you listen to, because there's a lot of there's a lot of big sleep gurus out there at the moment who who have some quite specific thoughts on this, and they all they all know a lot more than I do about sleep, and they all slightly disagree with one another. So, sort of in terms of my own what I've sort of done for myself, and again, I'm sort of stepping a little bit outside of my scope of practice. I genu- generally think that again, I'm a big I, I generally aim for something that is realistic. And something that isn't necessarily perfect, but that is as much sleep as you can realistically get within your lifestyle. Because, of course, a lot of people can't sleep as much as they want to. They're working shifts. They're looking after kids. Um, they've got, you know, caring responsibilities, all of that sort of stuff, too. So I think the idea is is 
for me six to eight hours i think six hours is too little yeah um, eight hours is plenty a lot of people quote seven and a half hours because they say that your cycles happen in sort of 90 minutes i never to be honest i don't really don't really necessarily have a an expertise on sleep or a real good grasp of the physiology and i think that for me the way that i've always looked at it is that you can't necessarily decide how long you're asleep for because you can decide what time you go to bed and you can decide what time you wake up and generally aiming for those two things to be the same like consistency with sleep aiming to try and have the same bedtime and the same wake time within that you might not necessarily get the same number of hours of sleep yeah. every night and sometimes it will be interrupted and sometimes it will be affected by other things um but trying to improve on things like sleep hygiene and trying to improve on the quality of sleep as well i think is is quite helpful too so things like a lot of people say that caffeine doesn't affect their sleep but physiologically we know that it does so i know that i've always been able to drink a cup of coffee before bed and go to sleep and fall asleep absolutely fine but from a physiological perspective the quality of my sleep isn't going to be as good as if i haven't had that coffee because of the yeah. you know the receptors that caffeine acts on and, and how it prevents the, the quality of our sleep from being from being optimal so i think i think just like usually just like with lifestyle and habits there's probably about you know 20 or 30 things that people can change to improve their quality of sleep so i always like to suggest trying to make little changes one at a time to try and improve things as much as possible but rather than going from someone that's sleeping four or five hours a night to go well you got you got to get eight hours it's not a realistic thing to suggest to someone in that situation because a lot of things are going to have to change for them to get eight hours sleep it's like saying to somebody who's been overweight for 20 years just lose weight just to eat less you know it's not it's not helpful advice at all um, and i think we need to start looking at sleep the same way as we look at those other things and start to think about it is you know there's a certain element of behavior change and and psychology behind how much people are sleeping as well yeah i i, th- I think you're right in in what you're saying like between that seven seven to eight hours is kind of like the optimal the optimal time and i know i know as soon as i've gone under under seven or six and a half i start to really struggle with cognitive ability on trying to Mm-hmm. even just get through workouts and stuff especially leg day <laughs> do you know what i'm saying yeah. so like it's just it's so important so important but one thing i want to encourage people to do is like and an entrepreneur taught me this it's like you know you just just move the biggest domino knock over the biggest domino in whatever whatever in, in whatever area of your life is going to improve and you know when you knock over the biggest domino the biggest domino in terms of in my opinion and this is not my but might be my might not be the biggest domino that I could knock over in, in my personal life to improve my habits and everything else is is sleep. Once you knock over that one, your food gets better and my exercise gets better and everything else gets better on the back of it. So it's just it's just I think a lot of people, Mike, are are, are trying to change lots of different habits, but they start with the wrong habit first, and the and and because they don't mm. knock over the crucial one, then it makes in in this one over here, you know, harder to improve upon. Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's the thing is it that's what makes habit change so difficult is that actually what that domino is is quite different for lots of different people. And that's the same with when it comes to, to like fat loss. It's the same when it comes to general health. It's the same when it comes to, you know, generally just trying to de-stress. Um, everyone's got different 
lifestyles and different lives and trying to figure out that low-hanging fruit in the context of, of what their life is is a really challenging thing to do and i've been caught short many times by assuming that other people's low-hanging fruit is the same as mine so i've gone oh just do this you know and that's when you just get it completely wrong because then you're, you've just suggested something completely pointless that someone's already doing already do that like it's really tempting when someone talks to me about sleep automatically assume that they're using devices late at night because everyone's using devices late at night so if you go well, one of the things that you could do is reduce your device use late at night and they go i don't don't use devices late at night you know that's that's why it's important like i was saying about before it's important to figure out what it is that people are struggling with before you try and actually you know help yeah them yeah and i think that's the, so what do you what in regards to what you do then so, so what what oh, i kind of want to figure out what you what you do what you do for yourself you're doing so much for others so you obviously you, you go you go and working in the practice and then you're giving to people online in terms of the content you're providing and trying to open up people's eyes but do, how what, what are you doing what are you doing uh, to nourish yourself in terms of like are you journaling are you meditating are you are you doing breath work what what kind of what kind of things are you putting in your life on 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 the, on the back of that for yourself so you can nourish yourself so you can go and serve more people um that's a very good question uh not as much as i probably should be uh in, in all honesty i've tried journaling and i haven't gone well with it and i don't think that's because you know a lot of people i'm not good at journaling i'm not good at meditating i've tried both of those things and i think that i'm still at that stage you know when you have to i think this and this is a really important thing to get across to other people and it's something that it's very easy to give other people advice on these things. It's not always so easy to do it yourself. If you speak to people that know about meditation, they will say to you, you can't be bad at meditation. That's not what it is. You just keep doing it and it becomes different. But it's not that you're bad at it. It's that you need to meditate. That's why you can't meditate. Yeah. You know, because, because you can't empty things from your mind because you've got lots of stuff to do. So... I find I get into those sorts of cycles. I am like very much, I'm a crisis person. So when things aren't going well or I'm really stressed, I'll journal or I'll meditate. And it's completely pointless. I, I sort of know that kind of retrospectively. But I think, again, this is another thing that all of us do as humans. When everything is going absolutely fine, we're like, oh, well, I'm fine now. Just gonna, you know, go to the pub and and, and do fun stuff because actually journaling isn't fun, meditating isn't particularly fun. I want to do other stuff because I don't have so much work to do today, for example. So, I think that it is that you're raising a really good point. I, I'm not doing as much as I should do, and I definitely will. I feel like I might get told off, but yeah, I think I, I'd like to. I want to <laughs> definitely get sort of more into kind of journaling and meditation, but I, I promise I'll do better that it is it, it's it's just it's just i think it's more to do with the fact of like you're you're like the the last port in a storm when someone's going into a crisis and you're used to helping people stay away from the crisis and, and to keep people away from the crisis but then that can creep into your own life can't it so you, you you're just trying to keep yourself away from the crisis but you're not trying to you're not trying to be over here and and get get way way ahead of it way in front of it i just think for me on a personal level look i'm not a woo-woo guy by any stretch of the imagination but i've i've implemented breath work and meditation and all that stuff in my life now i haven't actively been doing it for the last few weeks because i've, I've been having a bit of time away from it 
but I will say I feel so much better and so much more uh, structured with it in my life than I than I did with than I yeah. than I do now currently without it, and that I did before when I was currently without it. It's helped me work out a lot of childhood patterns and a lot of things in my life that weren't where I had a bit of needle and I wanted to you know prove something to the world in certain respects it allowed me to work a lot of that shit out internally um and I don't think that any any anything else can allow you it because just sitting with yourself and looking at yourself and reflecting on yourself that's how you can learn more because you can't essentially what I'm trying to say Mike is you can't lie to yourself uh, as much as yeah. people would love to think that you can, you can't. And the hardest thing that I've found to do ever in the history of mankind is to sit alone in silence. But yeah. on the other side of sitting alone in silence, you'll learn a hell of a lot about yourself. And when you put that into your life, you might not have to visit someone like Mike as much because you and, and you might save the NHS some money because you're dealing with your own <laughs> shit. Because I, I know I don't know whether you believe this as well, Mike, and I'm going to put it out there. I, I've read a few studies. Yeah, I know you're looking at me thinking, Frankie, read studies? No way. But I do. I've read a few studies, and I want to get your thoughts on this. In your opinion, can because the studies that I've read have said that people can think themselves into, into and create think themselves into problems and create ailments within their body from their, from their mind, because the mind is a powerful thing, and I've read loads of studies on it. Do you think that that is, a, is, is, is something that you've seen yourself? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's a, it's a very well-known phenomenon. Um, and, you know, the, the, I, I had a great quote, actually, when I, I think it was back when I was at medical school. Um, the only way that you can separate the mind from the body is with an axe. It's quite a dark quote. Um, but it is what, it, what they're basically saying is that the, the mind and the body are intrinsically linked. And I think that we've, we've definitely let that fall by the wayside. Um, when, for example, like people are depressed for example they will experience more physical symptoms than they would have done otherwise um i think that that's doubtless and i think that also whatever physical symptoms you experience when your mood is low they will be worse and i think the unfortunate thing about that situation is is sometimes when you see people who are struggling with symptoms and you do all of the necessary investigations to try and figure out that that you know, what those symptoms might be being caused by. And then you establish that, there's, that you're fairly comfortable that there's nothing dangerous going on. And you start to question whether they might be, you know, suffering from, you know, anxiety or stress, and it might be related to that. People often can take it as as you're saying that they're making it up. And that, I, I always try and explain it in a lot more detail than that because it's that's not what it is at all it's not that you're making it up it's that you are experiencing these symptoms but they are not being caused by you know damage to that part of your body for example and like we very easily accept things like referred pain because we know how nerves work so we know that you know if you've got a problem in a certain area you can sometimes get pain elsewhere that that, that suggests that you've got a problem in, in that other area but we don't necessarily also we're not always necessarily so open to the idea that you can have a problem in your brain that, that might necessarily you know that might be causing that physical symptom yeah. um and I, I completely agree and I, I think that the other thing that's really important to remember as well is that these methods that you're talking about and again i'm i might just defend myself slightly here a lot of the things that we do that support our mental well-being aren't necessarily formalized processes like 
meditation or like journaling, for example, right? Sometimes someone going to the pub and having a debrief with one of their friends. That is meditation. Kind yeah. of meditation, for example, or is, is, or is their journaling? You know, they're having that conversation, they're debriefing, they're getting those thoughts out, all of that sort of stuff. Sometimes, you know, going for a walk in nature is, is the meditation or the mindfulness. Sometimes listening to a song is the meditation. Sometimes, like, I, I sort of talked a lot about this in, in lockdown. I got really into baking. And I, I didn't understand why baking was helping me. And I know now, well, I, I figured it out. It's basically because I'm shutting everything else out. I'm focusing on this task. I can't use my phone. My hands are too dirty to use, to use my phone. I've got to focus completely on this one thing that I'm doing. I'm shutting everything else out. And I'm just doing something that is like maybe a repetitive sort of behavior that isn't necessarily requiring a huge amount of brain power, but is taking my focus. I would also, I get in the sea once a week, um, most of the time. Um, and, and sort of things like that, where you're sort of, you know, immersing yourself in water and just sort of sitting there for a little bit in silence among nature is meditation. It's just, you're doing it in a slightly different way. And it's probably not, you know, it's not, perfect it's not as effective as you know a, a proper sort of meditation process but probably the reason that i'm okay not doing those other things is because i've got all of these other little things that are happening that are kind of doing it for me a little bit and that's probably probably making it better and what happened in lockdowns and covid was that a lot of people had all of those things removed from their life they couldn't go for a walk with somebody or they couldn't go and sit in a pub and have a debrief with someone after work or go and meet a friend for coffee. So, and, and, and rather than replacing those things with like, you know, Zoom calls with people, they probably replaced them with things like watching Netflix and, you know, yeah. and, and drinking and stuff like that at home. So it, it sort of became a very, um, a very odd situation where a lot of people's mechanisms were taken away from them, but they didn't realize that they were the mechanisms for helping them feel that way. So people were like, I, I don't feel okay and I don't really know why. And I, I would say to them, well, what were you doing before that you're not doing now? And they would talk to me about all of these social things that they would have been doing. So, well, that's why, you know, that, that's why you're not feeling so great. Um, so, yeah, I think that, again, because I'm a big fan of, I wouldn't say mediocrity. I'm not a big fan of mediocrity, but I'm a big fan of, like, realism, particularly in the job that I work in. You deal with people of all different backgrounds, all different kinds of people with different views on life and different opinions on what they will and won't do and what they want to and don't want to do and what you might get them to be able to engage in doing. So we and we see this in sort of like health and fitness all the time. You think like to you know to be healthy, you've got to you know eat kale and drink smoothies all the time and and do yoga and pilates and do exercise all the time. Whereas yeah. if you are somebody who is let's say um, a long driver working shifts who doesn't have time to prepare their own food, who doesn't have access to refrigeration, who just needs to get stuff from a service station to eat, for example. Um, the best thing that they might be able to do for their for their diet within the constructs of what's happening is to choose the lower calorie pasty that you can get from the service station or to switch yeah. from, from Coke to Diet Coke. Whereas a lot of people might not look, look at those Choices. particularly helpful things to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and that's, I sort of feel that way a lot about kind of, you know, things like meditation and stuff like that. It's great for the, you know, those who can, um, but 
it's it's kind of a bit of a misnomer to think it's the only way of doing stuff. Yeah, I, I like that because what I picked up. Yeah, what I picked up from you there was the fact that, and what's just actually really punched me from from what you just said there is the fact that, like, you know, we 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 all have to make the right set of choices for us and our circumstance because not everyone has four hours in the morning like Jay Jay Alderton to do a morning routine. You know what I mean? Like, not everyone has that. He's created that four hours by systemizing his business to allow him the four hours to do his morning dip and his walk and his read a book and all this, that, and the other. And when he was telling me this on the podcast last last time out, I was like, I think to myself, fuck me, I don't have four hours. Do you know what I'm saying? But then, but then, yeah. but then, with what you just said, that it's like, I think we all just need to sit down with ourselves and be like, okay, we're we're gonna need a set. We need a set of habits, basically, to set to set the preference for the start and the end of the day. Because if we get the start and the end of the day right, then we could, we have half a chance of like winning the next day and and going on through that day right. It's like, okay, how long have I got? Well, I've got half an hour. I can give half an hour. Okay, what am I going to put in that half an hour then at the start and the end of the day to make my life better, easier, less anxiety? This, that, and the other? I think that's probably the better conversation from what you've just said to have with yourself than anything else. I think that's the most yeah. powerful one I've identified from what you've just said. So I, hope, 100%. I, hope I think that's, that's the thing. It's such an individual choice, isn't it? You can't decide what, what is the best thing to put in that half an hour for someone else, because that also depends on what they're doing for the rest of their day. Like, so for example, for someone like me who's sitting in front of a desk all day, one of the best uses of that half an hour for me could be going for a walk listening to a podcast while doing you know doing something like that where it's for somebody else who's then on their feet all day at work running about it probably would be quite meditation for example so yeah it's it's a really interesting thing that we all come from different angles we have all of our social media kind of echo chambers and our communities of people that and this is again another reason why i like social media so much because we are exposed to all of those different ways of doing things if we're not putting ourselves in echo chambers that's why i like to you know, follow people that disagree with the kind of stuff that I say, because it's very easy to forget that not everyone is in the same position as you are, particularly in modern times, like at the moment now with, with, with everything that's going on in the world, there are people that are suffering in, you know, in ways that we can't necessarily imagine. I mean, there always have been, but I think that, you know, it's really easy to forget that we're not the be all and end all of everything and that there's, there's other ways of doing stuff. Yeah, hundred percent, and I'm 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 pleased that we can have conversations like this, so we can obviously learn to embrace it. But what I want to set a task for everyone that's listening to this podcast that's got this far with me and Mike is the fact of like just take half an hour at the start and end of every day for yourself and put something in it, put a walk in it, put a whatever you want to do. I don't care, but just whatever 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 self care you can put in there for yourself. I want you to put that in there for like half an hour at the start and end of every day, and just and just do that. Fuck off trying to do every 17 different things and have a six hour morning routine and all this stuff that you know it's just not gonna, it's not going to happen but everyone's got 30 minutes to start at the end of the day I don't even care if you've got a mum with three kids you know the kids are in bed by eight or nine you can still you still spend half an hour I'm going to get absolutely slated for that but you know it's, it's true I just want I want you all to win so I want you to put in half an hour at the start and end of your day because that that's what you're not you're not listening to podcasts you're not getting this far down the podcast and not implementing something out of every podcast I just think you should do that but that was Dr. Mike that was Dr. Mike on the mic and I just want to ask you I, I want to finish with this, Mike, because if there is one 
Pete, like if you check out the planet tomorrow, you you check out, you can't take anything with you, all this razzmatazz. And there's one piece of golden information that you've learned throughout your career as a doctor, throughout your life on this planet, that you just want to impart. It would if one piece of wisdom that you just want to impart and instill on the on on the on the, and leave with people, and it can only be one piece. What would that piece of wisdom be for you? It's a very easy one for me because it's one that served me really well. It's it's to pick out the low hanging fruit and to stop aiming for perfection in everything. Um, I think it is. It, invariably when there are things that we can improve about ourselves or our lives we have this tendency to just want to fix everything and there's probably like i said before about you know 30 to 100 things that we could fix about anything that is wrong with any aspect of, of what we're doing in our lives at the moment and to, what we forget to do is to try and pick the easiest ones first and then go from there rather than trying to just rehash everything and failing because we can't do everything do you know, I, and I resonate with that. Do you know why I resonate with that so much? Is because rather than focus, I learned a long time ago, rather than focusing on what you're not good at, just double down on what you are good at because that is, and push that forward. And it's it's why I said in this podcast, you know, I, the reason I double down on podcasting and booking more guests and, and speaking to more people is because there's a return on in, there's, there's more and more of a, of a, of a momentum and there's a return on investment and it's enjoyable. Whereas this video thing, you know, Isaac can do that because Isaac, that's our Isaac's God gifted at that. He's good at that. Let him do what he's gifted at. And I will try and become better at what I actually like. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm so pleased that you said that. So that, that's going to be massive help guys. I hope you've really enjoyed this episode. Um, send me and Mike a message, uh, let us know what you thought share it on social media for us give us a like go and go and go if you can go and watch it on youtube you know watch on youtube subscribe on youtube I, i'm trying to build up youtube's my weakest platform i'm trying to build up you know i've got thousands and thousands of you listening on spotify and apple and i really appreciate it but youtube's my weakest platform you know 90 percent of the people that watch on youtube don't subscribe i would i'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe hit that like button on there but anyway much love guys that was dr mike the second the second but he's first in our books and uh, much love <laughs> thanks Frankie don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee podcast